0: I'm going to again start this week um, thinking about our students. Uh, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This time of year, I just always think about people going back to school. It used to make me so excited when I was little. And I'm thinking particularly this week of the pressure that our teachers and our students feel this time of year. Because nothing is finished yet. Uh, Maybe you had this experience if you went to college, you go down to the bookstore, they have a list of every book you're supposed to buy. And so they give it to you, and you hand them five, six, seven hundred dollars. And you get this pile of books. And often you get back to the dorm room, you put it on the table, and you think, oh man, I got to read all of that this year or this semester, you know, like just in the next four months. That's a lot. And then you look at the syllabus, and the syllabus has, you're going to have to do this, and do this, and this, and this, and this. And, this, and you start taking your calendar out, you're filling out stuff, and you're like, this is a lot of work to get done. How am I going to get this finished? <laughs> this happens as well, uh, even for our littler kids, often uh, kindergarten teachers and stuff. Now they have, it's so professionalized. When we were in school, it was like, hey, we'll teach you your alphabet. But now they're like, the objectives for this year, your child by the end of the year will be able to learn da-da-da-da-da-da. And they list off eight things that a kid's gonna learn so in th- that th- school. Year. Don't eat the paste. Right, exactly. Right, and from donating the paste to they'll be reading uh, consonant vowel groups put together. You know, like it's just very specific. And I can imagine as a teacher that's daunting, I'm gonna have to teach this group of kids that much stuff in the next year. And we just feel that pressure of what's coming and how things are going to work. And it can just feel like a mountain. You can look at all the things in front of you in life and it can feel so big and so treacherous that you do not even want to start. It's just terrifying to think of everything you've got in front of you. Some of you are like, yes, I know. Stop talking about it. You are making me anxious just thinking about all these things that are in front of me. Um, there's something that makes me uh, feel this way, and that something is uh, every four months when we put out a new one of these calendars, okay? Because I'm like, oh, and I plan this stuff, but we put everything, we're like, oh, we should do this, we should do this, we should put all these events on. And then we go, that's a lot of stuff for our church to get done in the next four months. And I start to get a little overwhelmed, and maybe you do too. Maybe you look at these calendars and go, Caleb, Preston, Bruce, guys, can we just like... Can we tailor this down a little bit? Do we have to do so many things? And it's hard in the life of our church to uh, balance doing enough stuff and not doing enough stuff. Right? We always want to have vision of how to go somewhere new and do something, uh, reach new people. How to always expand the way God is blessing our community. Uh, the way I think about it sometimes is another thing people do say every year is buy shoes for kids. If you ever bought a child's shoe, it's a very frustrating process because if you buy it too small, they outgrow it in mere weeks. But you know, you don't want to give your kids clown shoes that are flopping around on their feet. You never want the doctor to go, this is very unsafe how large your children's shoes are. You're like, you know how expensive they are? And so we have this process of how do we, create, how do we buy shoes that are just big enough they will grow into them, but not so big it will create you know, long-term orthopedic problems. And that's a lot how it feels as a church on how we attack a new season in life or how we attack our future as a church. How do we put on structures or how do we make plans as a church that will help us to grow into something bigger without just totally exhausting the church that we have. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as we get ready to launch into a new fall. I think we're ambitious in the things that we're wanting to do as a church, the people we're trying to reach. And so I think it's important for us to talk about uh, how to balance these things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about a passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, This is a section where Paul is um, trying to gather a collection for the church in Jerusalem. See, there's been a famine. There's been a financial downturn in Jerusalem. And many of the Christians in Jerusalem are suffering. They do not uh, have all that they need, and so what Paul's doing is going around to all the churches he's planted across Europe and Turkey and all these places, and he's saying, "I would love to gather a collection so that we can help the Jerusalem Christians." Now, for us, that's all great. Well, okay, it sounds nice. It's just a historical thing, but you have to remember the emotional way that would have felt. Jerusalem is a big church. Jerusalem is where everything started. It's where thousands and thousands of people were being baptized uh, on the day of Pentecost. And it's the oldest church. It's the church with the best leadership, with the most maturity. And so now all of a sudden, they're in financial trouble. And Paul is going to all these little churches. We don't know how big they are. Ten people, 50 people, 100 people. And he goes, oh, this church of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, they're going hungry, so we're going to collect money from you to help pay for them. And I'm sure it felt really scary. It probably felt, I don't know if any of you experienced this, sometimes um, parents will get in a bad spot and have to ask their kids for money. And that's terrifying if you're the kid, because you're like, these are the people who are supposed to take care of me, and now they need my help. And you realize, oh no, I'm I'm the responsible one in the room? How did that happen? Mm -hmm. And this is the the tension of this passage. That we have these little mission churches being asked to help the big mother church. And it would be one of these just big mountaintop tasks. How do we possibly do this? And Paul talks about how you come together to attack a big task. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Just so the geography does not mess us up here, uh, Corinth is a little church right here, uh, right where the mainland of Greece and um, Achaia would meet. So it's right there. And he's talking about Macedonian churches. Macedonian churches would be up here in Macedonia, which is what we call northern Greece or the country of. There's a trick question. Macedonia. We call it Macedonia stuff. So, anyways, that's something. of So this is Macedonia, and what Paul's saying is, this little church down here, uh, he's encouraging them to give, and he's starting by saying, these churches up here have already done an awesome job to start the process. And he uses these very interesting phrases about giving and the nature of giving. He says that when we give, it's an experience of grace. They have had the grace of giving. Uh, We tend to not feel that way. Right, Like uh, if someone is panhandling at our door looking for a little money, we never think, oh, I'm experiencing the grace of God as we pull a dollar out of our pocket. But this is the way Paul wants us to think about when we give, is that it's an experience of grace. It's an opportunity to be part of God's redemptive work in the world. Uh, When I was going through fundraising training, they always said, Never worry about, you know, whenever you ask people, don't go, oh, well, I don't know if they have enough money to give. You get, they said, giving is part of the grace of God. And so even poor people deserve to experience grace. And maybe they won't be able to give much, but it's never wrong to ask anyone to be part of what God's doing. Because it's a grace. And it's also a service. They're also serving their brothers and sisters. And so Paul uses this language where there's this kind of, unbelievable paradoxical sort of thing happening where he says their poverty welled up into generosity. Uh, it's a weird phrase, but it's kind of a beautiful phrase that when we have generous hearts, somehow it can, uh, magically is not the right word, but kind of the right <laughs> word. I mean, it's, it's the supernatural work of God sometimes that takes over. There's also a really interesting um, bit about leadership in the beginning of this passage, He said, you gave yourself first to the will of God and then to us as your leaders. Uh, This is the way good leadership is supposed to work is that people give themselves over to the will of God and then they see the leaders living within that will such that they go, because I know that you are doing what he desires, I'm willing to trust you and go with you. Uh, That's always our hope when we do stuff as we start a new period together as a church, uh, with our leadership here, when the Catrells and the Borchers and the Bates are kind of our leadership, we get together and we make this calendar. We try to seek the will of God for our church. And we hope that you see the will of God in the plans that we make so that you can trust us. And there is a little bit of trust here. When we put something on the calendar and you go, I don't know if that's worth our time. Please. Give yourself to the will of God, and as much as it looks like our calendars in the will of God, give yourself to us as well, and trust us and be there and help us get it done. Because um, it's always really hard when we have to sell people on sort of vision. and it's part of the job, and it's OK, but as we work together, it's great to be able to say, we want to do what God desires, and we trust that our leaders are doing that. And so when the whole church can trust the leadership, because the leadership is trusting God, everything just functions the way that God hopes for it to. And then he just asks them to be generous, to be willing um, to give and be part of this. Um, uh, Where am I, find myself? Oh, um, Paul then does this thing, and it's great. I love Paul's persuasion. Paul's rhetoric is always awesome to me. He does this really fascinating thing where he compliments them before telling them that they need to be more generous. So he goes, you are so overwhelming and excelling in the knowledge of the Lord and in wisdom and in love for one another and for earnestness. Now let your generosity catch up to the rest of your faith. Uh, Every once in a while, we act in church like generosity. And again, generosity can be our money, our time, our energies. We act like generosity is like uh, an elective class. Or it's like a minor that you can add on to Christianity. Like, I am going to be a good, great, faithful Christian, and then uh, generosity was not my minor. I chose to minor Bible study instead. You know, like, it's an option. And Paul kind of here says, no, that's not the way it works. When you're excelling and you're growing as a Christian, growing in your generosity is naturally and obviously a thing that has to happen. You can't say, look at how well-rounded I am. I know the word of God and I serve people and I uh, teach Bible class and I show up to Sunday worship every Sunday. You go, oh, are you generous? No, I chose not to put that part. That doesn't work that way. You have to do it all. And so excelling in generosity is a piece of um, what happens here as well as all these other things. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Uh, again, a uh, rhetorical roller coaster here. There are three statements in a row there that are just shocking. Statement one I'm not going to command you that you have to give. Oh, whew. okay, I'm not being commanded. <laughs> I'm just gonna see if you're a sincere Christian or not. You know, like wham, what a you know, like what a strong armed arm twisty way to say that. I'm, I'm not gonna command you, I'm just gonna see if you really care about Jesus. And so he does this, and then he ends with the Jesus juke of all Jesus jukes. Because just remember, Jesus was rich, he became poor to save you from your sins. So, you know, giving your stuff away is probably good. And so he just, like, lays it on so thick. I'm always fascinated by Paul saying, I'm not going to force you into anything, but I will put as much manipulation and emotional weight on you as humanly possible. And it's fascinating how he does that just in two sentences. Here's my judgment about what's best for you in this manner. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul says, finish this out. You guys started last year or a few years ago to help in this effort. I want you to go ahead and finish the job. Get there. uh, go all the way, get to the finish line. Don't just do it halfway, do it all the way. And I'm sure some of them go, didn't we finish it last time? He's, no, we've got to do the rest of the job. Uh, This is the way, anytime you're in a big project as a church, it works. There's always all these false finish lines. It's like, hey, we got to this point, but we got a little more to go. And so Paul's asking them to keep it moving. Um, But not only that, I, I just want to take a minute to notice this tension here where Paul earlier talked about their uh, the poverty of the Macedonians leading to generosity. But then here he goes, listen, I'm not asking you to give beyond what you have. God doesn't judge you for not having more to give. He just wants to know what you're going to do with what you do have. And that's a, um, it's just a, it's a very interesting balance in all of these things. God is not... Um, Asking us to push beyond. He's not making asking us to come up with something we don't have. We only have so many hours in the day. We only have so many dollars in our bank account. But he is, there is this sort of pressure of, but what if you took a little extra risk? And Paul keeps going on that line. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Uh, there's an economic principle here that I think is startling and shocking and difficult for some of us. We're not going to get into it today, but nonetheless, you should spend time with this passage. The idea that God's desire for money is that nobody has too much and nobody has too little. Um, that's not the way our economic system functions, Basically. But I want to take it more broadly to talk about how we work as a team, how we work together. He says, as you guys tackle this big problem, I want you to do it not so that one of you is all tapped out, but so that all of you are taken care of. If you've got some extra, you can give it. If you need some extra, but he says the point here is that we're all working towards equality so that we all have the things that we all need, that we're all taking care of things together. Um, as we're mindful of what it's going to take to kind of go to the next step of our church and where we maybe have to expand space, one of the things that I've been thinking of a lot is the 80-20 rule. Now, there is a business 80-20 rule that's a very nice, helpful thing, but in churches we have a different eighty twenty 20 rule. Does anyone know what the eighty twenty 20 rule is in church? Uh, something like that, it's 80% of the work at a church is usually done by 20% of the people at that church. Okay? And if you talk to any minister and say 80-20, they'll go, (laughs) yeah. Now, this is not to get on anybody. It's not to shame anyone. Don't be like, oh, my Caleb's 20 or mine is 80. It's not not the point. But it is something that churches really commonly experience, is that there is a one-fifth of their people that are really on fire And when we say, hey, I need a volunteer for something, it's the same two hands that go up over and over and over again. Those people are awesome. We love you. God bless you. But as a church, one of the things we want to work towards, how do we do these big challenges in front of us? It's equality and teamwork. That when we say, hey, we need some volunteers. We need some hands. We need you to help with this. That people go, oh, I haven't helped in a while. I'll do that. Instead of everyone looking at the one guy who always volunteers and waiting for him to go. Uh, This is just a really important principle. One of the ways we tackle big problems is we work together. And we try to break it so that 80% of the work gets done by 80% of the people. Uh, We have this phrase, many hands makes light work. It is so true in our life as a church. When we all chip in, the work gets easier, and we don't feel so burdened, and we're more happy to do it next time. What often happens in churches like the super volunteers... Do more and more and more and more and then they start to get upset because they feel like they're the only person who's ever doing anything and they don't want to come anymore. And then there's someone else at home that's like, oh, we needed volunteers today. I didn't get the email, right? Like this is just the way churches often function. And so how do we all chip in together? How do we work together to make sure that we all are kind of playing a role and that we're all helpful together? Uh, this is a little bit later in the passage, so Paul had opened up with all this stuff about generosity, now, and then he gives some practical, what we're skipping is, hey, here's how we're going to do the collection, here's who's going to show up, and he's going to take the money, and blah, 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 it's boring, you don't need to know about it. Chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap Generously. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This passage has this principle that is just so important for us in everything we do as followers of Jesus. He who reaps or sows generously reaps generously. And he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Your spiritual life will be enriched and as full as the time and effort you put into it. The more you give yourself to God, the more the benefit comes back. And the more that it's just a tangential side thing that you do every once in a while, the more it will be like, why do I even do this? It doesn't help. This is really frustrating when there's somebody who's real kind of off and on, and again, I'm not talking about anybody specific, but if there's somebody who's like, you yeah, know, they come to church once every four or five weeks and, you know, they don't really like to come to Bible study and this and this, you know, like, just somebody who's just not real super engaged, when one of those people goes, you know, I just don't think I'm coming anymore because I don't get anything out of it. I want to say, well, to he who reaps sparingly. They, you know, so sparingly, they reap sparingly. I mean, generally speaking, the more you put into something, the more you get out of it. We know this is true of hobbies, right? You sign up for a ballet class and you go to one of ten, you go, I don't know any ballet. Of course you don't. You didn't go to class, right? And Paul is just speaking really generically here. He's talking about financial giving, but I think it's true of our time and our energy and our hearts. The more that you give to God, the more that that comes back to you. And the more skimpy you are with it, the less that you get out of it. And this is just a really hard teaching for us. It's true of us as a church, though, too. Maybe you've looked at our church budget and you've gone, a oh, budget team, that's rather ambitious of you. Well, yeah, it is. Because we think as a church, if we sow sparingly, if we go, let's keep as much money in the bank account as possible for a rainy day, a rainy day will come very fast. Right? The whole kind of, yeah, spend money to make money thing. We really believe in a church that we are aggressive about how we do new things to reach new people, how we create new contact points, while we try to do a lot of ministry, where our calendar's as busy as it is, because we think that if we put a lot of effort into reaching new people for Jesus, it brings a lot better return. Whereas if we just kind of sit here and go, God, please bring someone our way, we've sown sparingly and we reap sparingly. Um... And what happens is this really difficult thing for us to talk about because there's, it's just a tension. Paul says, I don't want any of you guys to give to compulsion. I don't want you to feel like you have to give more. I don't, think, I don't want you to feel like you have to tackle this in a greater way than you can. But if you take a chance and a risk and give more than you think you can, God will probably make up the difference. See, there's this experience we have in faith where the deeper we go and the bigger challenge we take, the more chance we give for God to catch us. And it really is an experience of faith. It's learning to know your father. Some of you who are dads may know this experience. My reflexes are much, much better when there's a child. In Okay, I could play in the NFL if they threw my baby on the passes. Okay, because every time that the, you know, one of my ki- and my kids are this way. They're like, Dad will catch me, fly off the couch. You know, like they just assume Dad is superhero, so Dad can handle it, and so they do insane things with their bodies. And I mean, there's great YouTube videos, just compilations of dads like grabbing ankles as kids are about to hit concrete. You know, because their instincts jump in that experience as a child that is totally trusting their parents to a ridiculous amount, like too much. Like, no, I'm not that good. Don't trust daddy that much. But they' like, if I push it a little further, I bet he'll catch me. This is what it's like to be a Christian. If I jump a little further out, I bet you he'll catch me. And Paul says it effectively. This is what he says here. He says, When you people... Go out and you try harder. When you give more than you're able to, God will fill in in the back. He will take care of it. He's talking about financial, but I think it's another thing. When you go, oh, I don't have enough time in my schedule. God goes, you watch. I will create time for you. right? How do you create time? But he will. I I don't know if I can share that. That feels too personal. Do it and watch how I heal your heart through it. There are all these times where God says, if you will take a risk and you will jump out there, I will catch you and I will enable it. And Paul says it there so clearly. When we do that, God gives us more because he wants us to have everything we need and allows us to be generous. God is happy to bankroll generosity. He is not a big fan of bankrolling uh, selfishness. And this is all over scripture. When we are generous, when we're lavish with our time and our energy and our money, God goes, oh, okay, I need to, that guy needs a raise because he's giving so much at church, right? We go, for us, it's always the opposite way. We're like, when I get more money, I'll be more generous. God goes, well, I can't trust you with more money until I can see you're going to be generous, right? There's this weird uh, give and take, this push and pull. And so a lot of what Paul is talking about in all of this passage is take the jump. Try something new. Go to some place new. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's just a really interesting phrase. Sorry, this is not even the sermon. Um, your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. If you say, I believe in the good news of Jesus, and you're not financially generous, Paul goes, you're just really disobedient. I I didn't say that. Paul said that, all right? Uh, Anyways, the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Basically, what Paul says here is very simple. He says... When all this happens, people praise God, and they get along with each other better. They are thankful for you, you're thankful for them, your relationships are going to be stronger, and in all of this, people are going to worship God, and God's going to get the praise and glory he deserves. And this is all, this all, whole thing just works out well. You like God better, you like one another better, God likes you better. And the whole thing just works better when you're being good and you're giving of each other, and you're tackling things together. So let's talk about takeaways for this. Why do we preach about this on a random Sunday in September before the new sermon series starts? Um, I don't know where you are this year, but as we look at this fall calendar, as we look at the things we're trying to do, as we look at trying to take new big steps as a church, um, let me just ask you that just like Paul asked these people to look into their heart and be generous of themselves and take risks, just encourage you to always be the people who will take new risks for Jesus. Um, For some of you, that risk is a risk with your calendar. Now, this is a bad thing to talk about on the Labor Day Sunday, because, you know, you are the few and the brave, (laughs) the Labor Day Sunday people. But nonetheless, uh, we all have this moment where we see something and we're asked, hey, can you help out with this? Or can you come to this? Or hey, you should be part of this event. And we go, oh, I don't know. I just don't know if I have the time. Let me ask you to just be generous with your time. For some of you, you may be being called today in this sermon, I need to be better about making time to be part of what God's doing at church. Um, Maybe it's you, maybe isn't you, but um, that's one way that you could be called to something new. It's one way that you could be part of the things that are happening here is to volunteer somewhere you haven't volunteered, to come to a Bible study you've never come to before. That may be something that God's doing. Another thing God may be doing is pushing you to be more financially generous. Um, As we continue with these things, like I said, we have an aggressive budget. An aggressive budget means one that's not balanced super well. And we've done that with the assumption that we will grow in our giving as a church, but also that we'll add new members that will also help give. Um, I just ask you to always be thoughtful of this. Caleb, didn't you talk about this six months ago? Probably, but we need to talk about it at least every six months or so. Look at your budget. What do I give? Could I give more? Um, I, I, I say this just to share like our lives. For Fran and I, every time we've gotten a little raise of some kind, we have increased the percentage of our money that we give to God. Now, if you get a raise and you're giving the same percentage, it increases anyways. But we've always said we're going to do a little more. So if we got a little raise at somebody's work, you know, sometimes that's a quarter of a percent, right? It's not like a huge thing. But we're always trying to excel in giving. We want to be at the point that when we die, we will be giving two or three times as much as when we first got married. Yeah. Because that's just, that can grow. And then you can really like boil the frog if you just do it a little bit at a time. Um, and I never want to slow us down from realizing it's a grace to give. And maybe God is calling to yet. I'm not saying he is necessarily, but that's um, it's for you to decide. But also, and this is always important, I always try to end with this. Take a chance in giving more of yourself. There is some point where you will have an experience that you don't want to share, that sharing will help somebody else. There'll be a point where admitting to a fault that you have may help somebody else see that God heals. And a lot of times in those moments we go, oh, geez, I don't want to talk about that. And I just encourage you to give, because when we do that, it's amazing what can happen. I just think about, um, you know, like, I, I, my purpose is never to talk about, like, attendance for attendance sake, right? But I always try to think about little moments we never see. So it's Wednesday night, you're trying to go to the Wednesday night small group. You go, oh, I don't know if I want to go out tonight. You're like, oh, I'm going to go. And you go, and someone's there, and they say, oh, I'm having this thing going on in my life, and it mirrors something you've had. And you have this moment where you're like, I really don't want to talk about that, but maybe it'll be helpful. And you go, hey, listen, if you ever need anything, I went through this, and I'm willing to be there for you. And that person just breaks down crying, and they're like, really? And they start talking, and you share something, and there's this really beautiful moment. That is, there was generosity in that moment. Your time to show up, and your willingness to share your life. Little, tiny, micro-decisions. Decisions we go, oh, if I'm not there, what's it matter? Could make an unbelievable impact for the kingdom of God. And so I just want to encourage you to always take that leap, take that jump, give that little bit more. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes we need to rest and break and Sabbath, I believe in all those things. But when you feel God saying, just jump a little further out, he almost always supplies what's needed. Whatever you're losing in that risk, He brings back and more. And that is how we tackle big problems together, is we just get more and more and more generous. And God is more and more and more happy to fill up for whatever we lack. I forgot to say this earlier. We have uh, question and prayer cards in the sides of the pews here, these little plastic things. Uh, If you have a question about today's sermon, I would love for you to write that down and we'll go through it in a minute if you have a prayer that you'd like us to pray over uh, if you want that anonymous, don't use your name if you don't want anonymous, do use your name Uh, and we're going to have a song and during the song just feel free to reflect and to write those questions down and then after that we'll do our Q&A time